BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. Bring spring color inside this season with Bare Premium Plus paint, starting at just $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. Add a pop of blue to your kitchen with the Bare exclusive color Arrowhead Lake or a splash of Amazon jungle to your living room. Bring a cool breeze to your bathroom with sea glass or accent your bedroom with sunrise-inspired colors like coral cloud and dark crimson. Let your creativity bloom this spring with Bare Premium Plus paint starting at just $28.98 a gallon at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Farm to store in days, not weeks. That's 80 Acres Farms. Did you know most salads travel over 2,000 miles to reach your plate? But not 80 Acres Farms. Their crisp salad greens and herbs are food less traveled. They stay fresher for longer in your fridge. My salad lasts all week long, which means less food waste and easy meal planning. Oh, and did I mention there's zero need to wash these greens? Because 80 Acres Farms uses zero pesticides. Visit 80acresfarms.com to learn more and find their salads and salad kits at your local Harris Teeter. I'm David Grosso, and you're listening to Follow the Profit. So I'm extremely passionate about financial literacy, and it's what I built my brands, Bold TV and Gen Biz around. And it's important to give people from all generations and backgrounds an accessible way to learn more about money and how to manage it. So our guest today on Follow the Profit is in a position that resembles mine, except his is big time. We're talking about Caleb Silver, and he's the editor-in-chief of Investopedia. If you don't know what that is, you've probably seen it in your Google results. It's a publication focused on investing and financial education. And oftentimes, they're the first result that you'll get when you Google some sort of financial concept. And they have great breakdowns of financial terms that you've ever been confused about before, like right now, specifically what the debt ceiling is, or maybe what APR stands for. So, Caleb, how are you doing today? Very good. Very happy to be with you. We're birds of a feather. We're all about investing in financial literacy, investing education, financial literacy, making sure you know what you need to know. So, Caleb, you are, like, much like me, a journalist, one of the fastest disappearing white-collar professions in the world. How did you make a career for yourself? And more importantly, how did you survive in this space? Great question. And, you know, 27, 28 years later, it's kind of a miracle to still be here. But because I started in the restaurant industry in Santa Fe, New Mexico, where I grew up, um, you know, running restaurants, waiting tables, bussing tables, cooking. Uh, and then I turned into a documentary filmmaker doing environmental educational documentaries. It just was a, a set of circumstances that brought me to New York in about 1996 to go to NYU School of Journalism uh, at a time when the stock market was becoming super hot, especially around internet and tech stocks. And I did some interning with Bloomberg, like a lot of us did that went to NYU, fell in love with, with business journalism and the storytelling around businesses. And I'd say the rest is history, but it's been a long, long and windy road, but a, but a very good one for me. Isn't that funny, Caleb? I was also an environmental science major. So you and I have more in common than we even originally thought. So you started in the mid 90s, right? How have you seen news change from the mid 90s to, to, to today? Yeah, well, it just moves a lot faster, right? Um, that's for sure. So we have so many different platforms, so many outlets. We have social media, we have Twitter. A lot of the news comes through those channels before it becomes news in the way that you and I grew up with it. So there's the velocity of news. There's also 
um, you know, the what is news, uh, what counts as news anymore. And we know there's that ranges from, you know, very basic economic reports like the jobs report to more scandalous types of things um, that are more, you know, scintillating, something you might see on the New York Post. Uh, and I, so you have to be a little bit more discerning. But at the same time, the principles of journalism and the principles of news and the cycles, especially as we cover business and economics, um, those haven't changed much, but the details within them have changed a whole lot. Yeah, it seems like, and we were talking about this before we're recording, is like anyone with a tripod can call themselves a journalist. So how do we discern as consumers between, you know, someone with a tripod and someone who's professionally trained to give you the news? Yeah, great question. And that's the ultimate question, especially in the days of uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, etc., cetera, uh, that, that are actually becoming a platform for people who want to put out their own information. So, you know what we rely on at Investopedia and you rely on in, in, in what you do is, is three letters and they spell EAT, expertise, authority, and trustworthiness. And guess what? Google also considers that those word, that word EAT when it ranks sites for its trustworthiness, when it ranks them in the rankings. You say we appear in Google a lot. We do because we have that expertise we have the authority. We've been doing this for 23 years at Investopedia, and we're trusted. And more people continue to trust us, not just the you know folks who go on and Google something to read us, but we have backlinks from institutions like the Federal Reserve or the UN or or a, a .edu. That shows trustworthiness. So for, for folks out there who are consuming media, consider the source at all times. It's so hard to, to just take everything you see as the gospel and not all news organizations have it either, but just consider those three things. Are they experts? Do they have the authority to be telling me this? And do I trust them? So one of the interesting things about Investopedia is exactly that. You guys have great distribution and you rank on Google. A lot of days I see people pitch me and they have great content, but they have poor distribution. What do you think made Investopedia stand out besides what you just mentioned, EAT, to make sure that you guys had the domain authority to consistently rank on Google? Great question. Well, one of them is is our age. We're 23 years old. In internet years, that's 230. Um, <laughs> we've been around a very long time. But you know what we do a lot of? We spend a lot of time, a lot of budget, a lot of people power updating our content. We have 36,000 odd pieces of content on Investopedia. That's quite a bit. You know, tens of thousands of terms, investing terms or finance terms. We spend a lot of time updating them every month to make sure they are the most up-to-date. There's a case study in there. There's something relevant in the news that makes that term more relevant today than it was yesterday. That constant improvement project, if you will, is what helps us remain at the top of search results. We have a lot of content too. And again, it's that it's that trustworthiness that I think pays off time and time again. If, if uh, folks who are Googling something see our results and other results, they're used to us. They know who we are. They've clicked on us and relied on us before and trusted us. It's worked out. They're going to come back to us and do it again. Because I'll tell you, David, nobody comes in the front door of Investopedia. Very few people are browsing around looking for things, you know, unless they're like me and they're investing geeks. But most people come in through search or through a side door, through our newsletters or, or from the podcast, my podcast, because they hear me say something. And that's how a lot of people experience us. But when they find what they're looking for and we answer that question... That just helps us continue to uh, to stay relevant and rank better. I guess with web stuff, the more I learn, the more I realize I have more to learn. So how have you as a journalist who started his career in his 90s kept up with the ever-changing game of web and ranking on Google page results, which let's face it, changes every single day? Yeah, it's it's a very big difference. I come out of the news world. I worked at Bloomberg for eight years as a producer. I worked at CNN as an executive producer and a senior producer uh, on the Situation Room with Wolf Blitzer. I worked um, as the news director for business news at CNN. So I'm a push. I came out of the push world, the extra, extra read all about it world where that's what really news is. If you think about the wire services, if you think about the journal, Bloomberg, the Times, it's, hey, we're over here. Check it out. Check it out. Check it out. That's pushing content at consumers, at readers. Now in that I'm in the, uh, the search world, so to speak, because Investopedia really generates a lot of its traffic through search. I've learned a lot about pull. And that pull is what is it that's pulling you into the article? We're never going to beat those news wires on the news. That's what they do. They have robots in a lot of cases that do the spot news, but we're never going to beat them to, the, to that breaking news. And that's not what we're about. We're about the, the second leg of the story. So if you see an Amazon earnings report, 
We don't. We may have that story as a news article. We probably will later in the day. But what we really have is how does Amazon make money? What are the fastest growing businesses within Amazon? Who are the top shareholders of Amazon? All that content that surrounds a topic, that's what pull is. We know what you might be thinking or what you're thinking, and we know what questions you ask. So we're going to make sure we have those answers. So you've come a long way because I've been following Investopedia for a long time. It more resembled Wikipedia before, you know, a very simple page layout. But these days, it seems like your user experience has been enhanced. What type of investments have you made in assuring that, you know, you have the latest and greatest, you know, that your website resembles an Apple product, we'll call it? Thank you very much. I'll take that as a compliment. Well, the key difference between Wikipedia, which I have a ton of respect for, and Investopedia is they are crowdsourced. Wikipedia is crowdsourced, so anybody can enter or update a, a, a term, so to speak, or or a definition. We are uh, expert sourced, so we're always working with you know folks that are experts in their field who are writing our articles or editing our articles, and we have a finan uh, financial review board that reviews our articles to give them a thumbs up if they're good or a thumbs down to tell us how we need to improve them. So there's different layers of how we do that. But in terms of the, the UI, the user experience, you got to have clean content. You have to have super fast content. And fast, what do I mean by that? I mean, the page load time has to be quick. And you can't uh, junk it up with a lot of ads. You know, readers want what they want when they want it. They don't want to be distracted by pop-ups. They don't want to be distracted by video that starts talking to you if you didn't enable it. They don't want any of that. What they want is their content. They'll appreciate and understand a respectful advertising experience but what they won't tolerate is slow page times and things that get in the way of them and the answer they're seeking. And that is something that Dot Dash, our parent company, which bought us a few years ago, that is what they preach. That is how they basically turn all their new sites into really uh, high quality, uh, high performing sites. That's it. High, uh, high quality, very fast load times and a very respectful ad experience. So, and you hit at the problem for a lot of publishers. Publishers, you know, are dying, especially because, you know, big tech companies are taking the lion's share of ad revenue. So they end up, you know, reducing the quality of the user experience by stuffing ads in. How have you guys found a balance between monetization and, you know, the user experience? That is a very, very tight, tight rope to walk. But at the end of the day, our philosophy at Investopedia and at DotDash, our parent company is respect the reader. They're, they matter here. And if you respect the reader, give them what they want and don't obstruct them from, from the answer they're seeking, you can sell very contextually relevant ads around that that makes sense. So what do I mean by that? Well, for advertisers, we have a lot of advertisers in financial services, of course, um, because we have a very high intent user. So what do I mean by that? It means, like I said, you're not coming to Investopedia by accident. You have a purpose. You've come to us to answer a question or get familiar with something. But if you've come to us with that question of, how do I start investing $10,000? Then you have a very serious intent. How do I start investing $10,000? We want to make sure that we're answering that question right off the bat, but the ads that are around it, our advertisers know they want to be around that answer if that's the kind of service they're offering. So contextual relevancy matched with user intent um, and a respectful advertising experience, that's a good recipe for a good business. So a lot of times, like you mentioned in the beginning of your career, you know, everything's about timing, right? And Investopedia is especially relevant right now because a lot of people during the pandemic came into some cash. And at the same time, apps came around like Robinhood to invest in the market and making it easier and gamifying it. How has Investopedia leveraged these trends to grow its traffic? Well, we had a lot of traffic just as so many people were signing up for new investing and trading accounts during 2020 and 2021. If you can imagine 18 million people coming into the market for the first time, a lot of them are learning how to invest and trade for the first time. We're one of the first places they come to to learn that. So we were a beneficiary of that interest in the stock market, but it wouldn't have worked for us, David, if we hadn't spent millions of dollars over the past several years making sure that the content we, we have to answer those questions was the best it could possibly be, right? We have content, like I said, for, we've been around since 1999. We have a lot of articles on the site. I'm not going to sit here and tell you they're 100% correct, but to make sure that you are as close to 100% correct across all of that at all times, that's the big challenge. But we were kind of ready for that because we didn't obviously predict the pandemic, but we did predict 
And we know that user interest in investing and trading just continues to grow year after year after year. And because so many people came into it last year for the first time, we benefited from the traffic and we benefited from also learning what they want to learn about. That's a key part of what we do, David. It's not just have that content. It's pay attention to the data, pay attention to what they're asking you and pay attention to your reader feedback and your email and, and the DMs we get in our social media channels because they're telling you that they want something and the way the world works around investing and trading has changed a lot in the last five years, 10 years, certainly in the last 25 years. Yeah, one of the things that I feel like people don't know a lot about is keywords, right? And as journalists, if you know anything about distribution, you're always trafficking in keywords. And that's, of course, queries that are trending on Google when people are searching for things. How do you guys balance, you know, good quality content with the right keywords? Because that seems to be a problem that I have every single day at Bold TV. Yeah. Well, we don't have to keyword stuff just because we have the intent. We have the user coming for that specific thing that we know of. So, uh, you know, for our definition of PE ratio, one of our most popular, that is what it is. What is PE ratio? So that is its own keyword. We've established that 23 years ago. We are going to rank there and people know that that's where to find that that uh, definition. But but to your other point, you know, there are things that are spiking around the, the news world all the time, things that are trending, popping on on the social media platforms, popping in Google Trends, paying attention to those is super important, especially for us. Not that we're chasing news, but we want to make sure that as people do chase news, they are coming to us for the second part, the deeper educational dive on that story. And let me give you a weird example, but this is a classic one. Um, you know, there was a, a recently a, a rapper, um, not recently, in the last few years, uh, charged with racketeering, with the RICO Act. Um, so... One day, I'm just looking looking through our Google Analytics, and I see that term spiking, racketeering. Why is racketeering spiking? And I'm talking about you know tens of thousands of sessions more than it usually does. I go and look, and I see that there's a rapper who is arrested for weapons charges and conspiracy to kidnap and racketeering. And the, the uh, rap blogs and the YouTube shows were all referring to Investopedia's definition of that to explain that. That has nothing to do with the investing and finance education that we do on the regular, but racketeering is a securities, you know, it is a, it is a civil crime. Uh, it does sometimes involve securities. So we had that definition and all of a sudden we became a source of information on a totally random story. Now, contextualize that to what happens in the trading world when, when the stock market halts because there's too much selling or when a company IPOs and the, the price goes ballistic or uh, through the roof. People are like, what is that company? How does it make money? What is an IPO? What's a direct listing? So it's kind of being prepared for all of these different scenarios and you never know where the traffic is going to come from. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So, buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So, how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud, Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less, like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic, oracle.com slash strategic. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? more confident, capable surgeons, and even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent, and this is Chasing Life. Three out of four U.S. adults are considered overweight or have obesity. 75% of Americans. Dr. Fatima Cody-Stanford. Our weight is one factor that plays a role in our health. But by itself, it doesn't give us the full story of who we are. We have to look at our full person. Listen to Chasing Life, streaming now on the iHeartRadio app. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great conversation. One of the questions I have is, you know, one of the big quandaries in our space is reducing the cost of content creation. Can you see any tasks day to day that happen at Investopedia that could be automated or taken over by something like machine learning or artificial intelligence? Probably my job. Um, If you could find a a robot who can speak a little better than I can and do uh, television, radio and all the things that I do. But in our world, especially in, in the finance and investing and, and uh, business education world, um, you have to go with expertise. So def- on the content creation part, I don't think that that will ever be replaced. And I don't think we'll ever, you know, if anything, we're going to spend more on that because we just want the best we can possibly get. You got to pay for it uh, if you want the best. So we'll always do that. Automation, maybe through the CMS and, you know, building, you know, uh, loading content into your website. A lot of that's kind of automated, but do I think AI can supplant that? No. What I do see happening though with AI and, and audio journalism, voice search is more and more people are using it to get to our content. Um, whether they're asking, uh, you know, Siri, or they're asking, I better be careful how loud I say that, but if you're asking Siri or you're asking Alexa, you see a lot of that happening. Um, and I think a lot of that, you can, you can prepare yourself for that by making sure you're, you can suit those platforms as well. But so much of what we do is really about research, good writing, good explanations, the right graphic, the right image. And I just don't see a world in the next few years where AI or robot could do that. So a lot of uh, media, uh, the big media conglomerates, including the one that owns Investopedia, have become sprawling in recent years. Can you tell me a little bit about the history of Investopedia and how it was absorbed by Interactive Core, which, of course, has one of the most interesting buildings I've ever seen in Manhattan? You know, it's like akin to an igloo. I imagine you might work in that igloo or at least have been to that igloo. Yeah. It's a sailboat, actually, designed by Frank Geary. And it's a beautiful building, even cooler on the inside. Uh, right there on right about 18th Street on the West Side Highway. So it's very cool. We're not based in there. We're based downtown with Dot, with Dot Dash. But Investopedia's history is super interesting. And because I came up at that time uh, when Investopedia was being born in Edmonton, uh, in Alberta, in Canada, by four guys who had this idea back in 1998, 1999, why don't we create because there's so much interest in internet stocks right now. And this was the birth of CNBC and FNN and Bloomberg TV, where I eventually worked. We should put a lot of these terms online in a dictionary because nobody knows what these terms mean. And they're just spitting them out on these new uh, TV, finance TV shows. So they had that brilliant idea. And then they said, you know, there's this company down in Mountain View, Colorado, uh, California, rather, uh, called Google, two guys in Stanford. They're working out of their garage. They're trying to index the entire internet. Maybe if we put the definitions up uh, on the internet and organize them, 
Maybe they'll point to us as they try to organize information. Guess what? That turned into a pretty good idea. Google and indexing the investing terms. So they did that, but then they also added test prep to it. Uh, test prep for series six, for 53, for seven, to get into the investing or financial world. They, they put tutorials there, which was super helpful. Kept adding content over the years. And several years later, they sold Investopedia, these four gentlemen, to Forbes. Uh, Forbes had it for several years, added more content, expanded the verticals out to just beyond investing and in, in terms to uh, personal finance, uh, the economy. So they started expanding it vertically to include more and growing it. The bigger it got, the more people pointed to it, right? We're talking about the mid-2000s here, uh, pre-financial crisis. Financial crisis happened. You can imagine the amount of content that was added to our site during that period of time. Forbes eventually sold it to another company uh, called ValueClick, I believe, who had it for a couple of years. But IEC saw it, uh, and IEC had at the time Dictionary.com in its portfolio. So another SEO play for you know where you put in you Google a or you put in a Bing a, a word to look for its definition. They own that, and it kind of made sense to have these two sort of SEO properties in the publishing group. We were in there independently for a while on the sidelines inside IAC Interactive Corp. Um, which had bought about.com. You might remember from Internet 1.0, about.com. They bought about.com about eight or nine years ago. Um, and about.com, probably after they bought it, uh, basically uh, all the results started failing and, and the ranking for the about.com results started dropping precipitously because of Google algorithm changes. And they tried to rescue that site instead of after a couple of failed attempts, what they did was say, let's go vertical. Because the internet is now vertical. Facebook's made it that way. Google's made it that Facebook's made it personal. Google's made it vertical. Let's go deep on the subject matters we know we're good at and have the best content with new brands. So they created thebalance.com, which was about.com money, uh, slash money. Verywell.com, which was about.com slash health. Um, the Spruce, which was about.com slash home. So they went vertical, deep expertise, great content, really good user interfaces, turned it around. I'm talking about a spiraling decline in about.com that they arrested by saying, you know what, let's change the game. And they went vertical and they succeeded in really turning the business around um, and launching all these new sites. In the process of that, invest, uh, IAC said, and .dash said, Investopedia would really fit well into the portfolio along with the balance.com. So basically we were, you know, uh, we were already in IAC, but we were acquired into Dot dash. And that's where we've been for the better part of two, almost three years right now. And that process I was speaking about earlier, great content, fast sites, respectful advertising experience, that's the gospel at dot dash. When we started play, using that playbook, our results improved dramatically across all categories. Yeah. So how do you make sure that you can keep up with these algorithm changes? Because, you know, in the publishing world, we always tremble at the thought that, you know, these big tech companies that really determine whether we succeed or fail, you know, whether we're keeping up with these changes. Great question. So we don't have a, a strategy that relies on social media platforms. We have massive social media presences, but we've never relied on them to power our business because they can be fickle. Um, and we are good at what we're good at which is educating people on investing in finance and business. So the thing that only thing that we can control are those things. Great content, a really good user experience, and a super fast site that doesn't have ads clogging up the pages. So we've done things like taking out pre-roll in some cases on some of our most popular pages. Why? Because that's a distraction, right? If all of a sudden the video starts playing or playing sound at you while you're in the middle of work looking for something, that's just a bad user experience. So we've done things like that to clean it up and make the path from intent to answer. I have a question, there's my answer on Investopedia, as short as possible for our users. And if you do that, I know it sounds simple, but simple is super hard, especially in digital businesses. If you can do that and do that well, you're gonna be okay for the most part. Now, you can't predict what's gonna happen when algorithms change, but you can control the things that you can't control. And that's really all we try to do. And you know, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that we've been around for a long time doing it. So I think, you know, you know, thank your lucky stars, knock wood or, or whatever. We, we've been okay. And I think if we continue to play that, uh, that strategy, we're going to be fine. So as a journalist, Caleb, where do you see the industry going? Because it seems to be a big question mark right now in terms of financial sustainability, in terms of continued, you know, existence for a lot of media outlets out there. Yeah, it's in the last year has really shown us, uh, 
uh, how how fast you can get shaken up, uh, even if you're a successful, popular, buzzy internet brand. So we know that that's possible, uh, and and we we see that happening across our industry. But then you look at the sites and the publishers that are winning, um, that are doing really well right now, and they all kind of have something in common, which is uh, make your readers smarter, give them a good experience across all platforms. If you have an app, make it, make it great, make it easy to use. Um, if you have a multi-platform approach and you can use like a CNBC does, I have a lot of respect for them, you know, great on TV, great on the, on the web, pretty good app. Uh, they have the, the newsletters, they have good podcasts, good talent, multi-platform approach. They're still in business and doing fabulously. So is Bloomberg, uh, which has great reporting, super in-depth across the entire world. They cover everything, and they have a pretty good multi-platform approach too. And then you look at other publishers that are doing really well um, that that you know have an expertise in one thing or the other. And you, even, even the publishers like a NerdWallet or a Bankrate, who we have a ton of respect for, they're really good at helping people do the things that they want to do in our world. Find the right credit card, find the right insurance. Uh, learn how to invest in some cases. You know, we're respectful competitors, but look, there's a reason they're succeeding and doing well. They're answering questions and that's kind of what we do. And 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 it's a that's where the competition and the excitement is. I guess my question would be is a lot of the businesses that you just mentioned, I read all these outlets, have businesses that are very diversified, just like yours, right? You know, Comcast, which owns CNBC, is a cable provider as well as a publisher and a media outlet, right? And Bankrate probably makes most of its money not off of its, you know, publishing, as does NerdWallet, which probably makes most of its money from credit cards. And everything you've just described has a diversified business that doesn't solely depend on journalism. Is the business model that solely depends on publishing articles and making videos dead? Uh, I don't think so. And I look at them, some new entrants into the market. I become real fans of the guys that earn your leisure, uh, who really have created out of nowhere um, a, a great podcasting uh, community. They've got their own university. They have really smart webinars. They have live events right now. These are two guys out, out from Mount Vernon up here, just north of me in New York, uh, that decided that they wanted to really get into financial education. One was a, you know, a, a, a physical education teacher. The other is a financial advisor. They're just really good at building community. So I think if you can build community and deep interest in what you're doing, you don't need 5 million subscribers. You know, if you have the right 100,000 subscribers, then I think you can create a real business. So look at opportunities like that. There's people that have come out of nowhere to become super influential voices, journalists, in some cases, sometimes not, sometimes just, um, you know, folks who are experts in their field to create businesses that you and I might have thought of as journalism years ago. But you don't have to be a Comcast. You don't have to be a Bloomberg to do it. You just have to have some special sauce and, and the right way to reach the right people. A lot of uh, outlets rely on video right now, and Investopedia is articles first. So it's unusual. A lot of times we always hear about video, 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 video is the primary means of communication in today's world. Do you all plan on doing more video in the coming years? Well, I'm a video guy. I love video and I would do as much as possible. It's kind of expensive. Uh, so there's that. But we have videos on our top 5,000 terms. We have must have ten, uh, you know, several thousand videos across the site. And you know what? Uh, they're, they're super simple. So PE ratio is one of our most popular terms. We have a video that explains PE ratio in about 60 seconds. Or if you wanted to <coughs> learn about how to do something in technical analysis or using technical analysis, we have an explainer that has the charts and, and the things that go with it with subtitles. Now, I thought for years that you know our users didn't care much about them and we started removing them or changing them on some pages or putting in a different video. The outrage was incredible, David. People rely on those and they use those. Our YouTube page has a lot of video on it. Some of them have you know over a million views on them because people do rely on it. So it's not like we never did or never would. Um, but we also know that the core of our business is in documents, right? Is in people reading the article. They want a very quick answer to something. A video could do it in some cases and they're free to watch it because it's right there in the article. But most of the time they're like, what is that thing? Let me learn more. Now, we also have video around education. So we have an academy where you can take courses in investing or trading. And that is video first, but that makes a lot of sense for what that is, right? If you want to learn how to trade from a trader, watching what they do with charts, with their watch list, that's critical. But if you want to learn the formula for compound annual growth rate, that's text.
So one of the things that's happened in the world, and somehow we ended up this way in the past 10 years, is the politicization of everything. Try to say that three times, right? How have you guys established yourselves as a neutral arbiter of information in a world that seemingly has two filters or two ways of looking at the world, liberal and conservative? It's a good question, but it, we we must because we are uh, here for the user and their questions, not to uh, contribute our opinions, whatever they might be, into the conversation. And anytime, and I've been around for six years at Investopedia, anytime there's any hint of that, we hear it from our readers right away and from both sides. It's not like it's one way or the other. If we If we head into those waters, we're corrected right away from our users and they say to us, we know where to get that if we want that, but we are here because we want this. So don't give me that. And I don't need to hear that more than once or twice from our readers. Um, and we have 23 million a month to know that we're, we're, we're not where we're supposed to be. We have to be neutral because what we're doing is answering their questions on something super specific. If they want to know, you know, does the stock market do better with Republicans in office or Democrats in office? Fine. That's a data-based answer. We have that answer. We have a chart that shows you that answer. The results would surprise a lot of people. Um, so, you know, we don't we don't go into politics until and unless politics and the economy or the stock market become enmeshed. And they've been that way for the last couple of years. But when we do that, we're explaining and we're educated. We're not taking a side. We're not dumping on... Uh, Democrats for wanting to spend too much or Republicans for wanting to roll back, um, you know, or, or not allow any tax increases. We don't play that game. We just explain what it means so that you, the reader, can understand it and then make up your own mind because we know you already come with your own political biases and we don't need to contribute to that conversation at all. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds... It was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great Thank conversation. You. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com.
2025 QX80 coming this summer. So what does the data say on Democrats, Republicans and the stock market, according to Investopedia? Well, the, the best uh, returns under a U.S. president in the last 100 years go to Bill Clinton, uh, but also coming out of a pretty big tailspin uh, when he took office. Remember, it is the economy, stupid. Um, so uh, a lot of people might be surprised by that. The results under President Trump were very good. But remember, um, you know, we did have a little bit of a, uh, a bear market uh, right at the end of, of his last year in office. Um, but the, it's very fascinating. You can look all the way back to Grover Cleveland and see it's a pretty good balance of, um, you know, where the results are the best. And they pretty much pan out to be equal. Maybe Democrats have a slight edge, but so much of it is timing. The president has very little to do with the, re, the performance of the stock market, although they love to take credit when it does well, and they love to not take credit when it doesn't do well. So it's usually not the president. It's the era that the president is, is uh, presiding over, although they can influence things like the tax rate and, and uh, government spending to a certain degree. Yeah, I would underline that like 10 times that that presidents love taking credit for economies when they mostly inherit all presidents. So speaking of presidents, all presidents, all parties. So what do you see for the economy going forward right now, since you're really in the thick of things? Yeah, I think we're in the uh, um, I think the best has come. Uh, We've seen the best. We've seen the top. And now we're going to be in this slow deceleration of economic growth. We're going to be growing, but just not as fast as we were. And we were growing at six, six and a half percent coming out of that cute little recession we had at the, in the teeth of the pandemic. Um, so you can't expect that kind of growth to go on forever. China had that kind of growth for a long time. Uh, it's definitely not experiencing that now. But all the stimulus money, all the monetary policy moves that the Federal Reserve has made and continues to make, all of that, uh, plus this pent-up demand, given that we were kind of locked down for many months, that has created an explosion in economic activity. It cannot sustain itself for a bunch of reasons. Um, but we also have still supply chain issues. We've got ships out at the Port of Los Angeles and Long Beach and Shanghai stuck for weeks. Uh, we don't have enough trucks to move product across the country or, or enough folks to do it and enough people to sell those products once they get to store. So we're going to be in that labor constraint capacity for quite a while. You saw it, you see it in the jobs reports. And what it tells us is, it's going to take us a while to get back to sort of a, a healthy labor economy. Even though the unemployment rate is down to 4.8%, um, it doesn't feel like it right now. It's more like 8.5% when you look at the discouraged workers out there. And we still have about 5 million people out of work. So that's going to constrain things a little bit. And growth's going to cool. And as growth cools, it's going to be very interesting to see how investors interpret that and then decide how to allocate their investments going forward. Yeah. And it's funny because we look at inflation, but people are equally worried about deflation as well. Where do you see that going? And I'm sure those terms are popular hits on Investopedia.com. As is stagflation, which is rising prices while unemployment remains relatively high. So they're all they're all popping right now because <clears throat> excuse me. They're all popping right now because that's the, the 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 dynamic we find ourselves in right now. I see prices continuing to rise. They did turn over a little bit, especially in commodities. But look at oil crossing eighty bucks a barrel. Look at uh, um, you know uh, sugar and cotton uh, still rising aggressively. These are going to be around for a while because of those supply chain issues and demand is very robust right now. It's not just robust here in the United States. It's robust in Europe. It's robust in parts of China as well. So you're going to have those prices continue to rise. How much invest uh, consumers can bear of those price rises is the big question because consumer spending 70% of US GDP. So when consumers get tepid and pull back on the spending, you're really going to feel it in the economy. But so far, they haven't. Some of that is because of the relief money a lot of folks got during the pandemic. Some of that's because we weren't spending as much money. The savings rate remains high. The, the, there are very few bankruptcies or people that are in any sort of credit card uh, turmoil compared to recent times. So the consumer's got to hang in there, but if prices keep rising as I expect them to, I think we're going to have this disconnect and it'll probably be by the end of the year. So I think it's going to get a little rocky, so to speak. One of the things that people are especially feeling tepid about these days is buying a home. And that's usually you know, the biggest investment we'll make in our lifetimes. Prices have gone up really fast, seemingly overnight. And in markets like where we're sitting here in New York, I'm in Los Angeles, I mean, it's way out of reach for the vast majority of people who live around here. So does this is this a sustainable situation or do eventually people just bulk at prices and back out of the market? 
you're starting to see that already. You see it seasonally anyway in the fall. It's usually the worst. The, quarter, the final quarter of the year is probably the worst for real estate sales. But we did have uh, you know prices doubling or going up 100% in some areas. Phoenix, uh, the Denver area, San Diego, um, Sun Valley, Idaho, uh, North Carolina, mountaintop North Carolina, some very beautiful places where people said, you know, I'm just picking up and I'm moving. It's time for me to go. And so you, you've seen it in extreme cases in some places, but it has put it has put the housing market the, or the opportunity to buy a house out of reach for many Americans. It was already out of reach for low-income earners um, who couldn't afford a down payment, even though mortgage rates were low, still affording that down payment in a competitive market is very, very hard. So what you've seen is this amazing explosion in household net worth. I think it was uh, 1.8 uh, trillion at the most recent count um, in terms of the growth of, of uh, assets like stocks and like uh, one's house. You've seen that happen already. And, and if you owned your home and if you have equity and you have stocks and you have equity in your home, you've done very well in the last 18 months. But so many people, millions of people don't. And it just got a little further out of reach, which contributes to what we call and you know, with terms on Investopedia, the K-shaped recovery, where the, you know, the top of the K is doing just fine. The bottom of the K continues to go lower. So how do you keep, since you do a lot of television like I do, how do you keep your commentary close to your mission without getting political? Because I'll tell you, every time they put me on TV, Caleb, I was on this morning, they try to push me into a category. Do you just stick to straight business news and what outlets can we catch you on? <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I'm available everywhere. I'm promiscuous in my media appearances because I want to talk to as many people as I can to make sure that they can. Un my job is to be the explainer in chief. So I think people know that's what I'm going to bring to the table. So I do uh, frequent hits on uh, NBC News Now, the streaming platform. I'll be, uh, I'm on Yahoo Finance frequently. You'll see me on Cheddar, uh, MSNBC from time to time, Fox Business News I do from time to time. So I'm an equal opportunity offender. I'll go anywhere. But my job, and people know this, and this is how I pitch myself as, why don't I come on and explain what this actually means. The other thing that I do a lot of, David, is we have newsletters uh, for a day that go out every single day um, during the week. And we have about a million and a half readers of those daily newsletters. And they're super responsive, very high open rate. And we have a conversation, an ongoing conversation. They come from me, these newsletters and some talented writers and editors that I work on these with. But we're able to survey them for their investing sentiment. And we also know folks' investing sentiment because of what they're searching for on our site. We have something called the Anxiety Index, which shows what fear-based terms readers are looking for around the market, like bear market or capitulation or around the economy, like recession or depression or stagflation. Uh, so we know what they're searching for and we track that movement. So when I come on, I'm talking about what our readers are telling us. I'm giving them the voice of the individual investor and I'm educating. So it doesn't matter if I'm on Fox or if I'm on MSNBC. I'm giving them what I know how to give them and they don't come to me for the political stuff. Um, so I don't really have to go there. And I think it's a good thing because I, you know, my, my mission is to educate and use the platform. I have to do that. And the world doesn't need another talking head talking about politics one way or the other, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I, I would agree with you. How's that anxiety index looking these days? You know, it, it piped up a lot in the last couple of weeks, like a two-year-old in a toy store when it's time to go. Um, but nothing like what we saw in March and April of 2020 when it was screaming its head off like a tea kettle. Um, so it's cool. But in our readers, uh, and they come from all over the world and all over the country, all ages, um, they are super smart. And they look for, they always look for the knock-on effect of something. So what happens to the stock market when the debt ceiling, you know, when, you know, the government shuts down? They're looking for things like that. But they do get, um, like the rest of us, a little nervous when you see these, you know, sudden 2% drops in the stock market, like, like we've seen in the past few weeks, which are normally not crazy, but we have had such a period of quiet that all of a sudden they're starting to get interested. So they, it woke up a little bit uh, out of its hibernation, but it is nowhere near where it was back in March and April of 2020. So I want to leave with one topic, which is the average baby boomer is worth 10 times what I'm worth, and I'm a millennial. How can education help narrow that gap? Well, it starts with you know knowing yourself and what you've got, right? What your own personal balance sheet, your assets, your liabilities. What do you have in the bank? What securities do you own? You really have to get self-centered on where do I stand today. A very honest conversation with yourself and laying out all your work. But then, how do I how to build wealth 
over uh, over your lifetime is the ultimate challenge, but it's also a great learning journey. So a lot of folks, and I encourage young people to invest, and I started custodian accounts for my kids and my nephews um, and for my friends' kids because I want them to understand and pick stocks with me and understand how the market works. But a lot of folks, what they don't do, David, is they don't pay themselves. And I know that sounds, um, you know, uh, like, a, like a dream for some people. What do you mean pay myself? You know, you get your paycheck, you get your paycheck and what are you doing with it, right? You're paying your bills just like everybody else. They come in, you're just auto paying them in some cases. But a lot of folks haven't set themselves up with online accounts, brokerage accounts, or robo-advisors, or even their own online bank account where they automatically allocate every month. Yeah, you can contribute to your 401k. Definitely do that. Get the match from your company at the max if you can do that. If they don't do that, start your own Roth IRA. Or if you're a small business owner, start a SEP account. But make sure you're being loyal to the contributions there. And don't think about it. Make it automatic. 100 bucks a month goes in here every month, every month. If you're in your 30s and you do that, but if you're 32 years old, your 52-year-old self will just grab you and give you a big old bear hug because the magic of compound growth over time in the stock market, in investing, is the fairy dust that is over this entire financial market system that we live in. And it's not a myth, it's real. So it's consistent investing, understanding how to not take too much risk, but being consistent about it and making sure you're paying yourself by giving yourself a hundred bucks, a couple hundred bucks every month if you can, into that account. Don't worry about where the stock market is, if it's higher, if it's low, just keep buying. And in 20 years, you will give yourself a big old kiss on the forehead. Well, Caleb, I really appreciate your time, and I will be looking for you intently all over television to hear your latest commentary. Caleb Silver, Editor-in-Chief of Investopedia, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. It was real nice to be here. So thanks to all of you for joining me as we followed the profit. And a big thanks to our guest, Caleb Silver. He's the editor-in-chief of Investopedia, a great resource for anyone who wants to learn about investing. I'm your host, David Grasso. If you're enjoying the show, give us five stars and give us a review so others can learn what the show is all about. I'd like to thank our producers, Rob, Scott, and Cheyenne, as well as our executive producers, Newt Gingrich and Debbie Myers. Follow the Profit is a production of Gingrich 360 and iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Gingrich 360 network. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. All right, let's face it. Most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point. And there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. That's why the CNN Underscore team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. Visit Underscore.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex
National Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free at 